Today's lesson will be about saying thank God, thank you, thank God, thank you about the concept of, right, we'll see soon, but it will be the road to happiness. This is one idea of, that, that can help us get closer to being happy. So, as usual, we'll begin with, uh, with a question. Go. Three, four. Pass it around, and of course, it's connected to the weekly parsha. This week's this week's parsha is a parsha of Kisavo. It's parsha number seven. Parsha number seven of the fifth book, the book of Devarim. After this, we have four more weeks, and then we get to the end, the end of the whole five books, and that will be the celebration on Simchas Torah. And then we start again to the interesting books, the more, more fascinating uh, books of uh, Genesis, Bereshis, and Shemos. But this week's parasha is Kisavo. And, <clears throat> of course, it will also be connected to the time of the year that we are. We're in the month of Elul. We're less than two weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. What, what does Kisavo mean? When you will come. Okay. And let's begin with source number one. This is a quote from the Talmud and Tractate Brachos. From the day God created the world, no one thanked God until Leah came and thanked him. Leah was a wife. Hi, Bobby. Welcome. We just started. Let's uh, pass one to Bobby here. Take something to eat. Where we just started. You want to pass this around? Pass this to. Leah was uh, a husband of Yaakov, of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had a wife, Leah. Leah, we'll, we'll, we'll hear more of the story soon. And she thanked God. And we'll see later what she thanked him for. But she thanked God. And Leah lived about 2,000 years after creation. God, the Torah says it was Adam, and then 10 generations later there was Noah. 10 generations later there was Abraham. Right? And, and Jacob is 22 generations since creation. It's a long time. It's about 2,000 years. And still the Talmud says that from the day God created the world, there was tons of people around. Still nobody thanked God until Leah came and thanked him. Which is strange. Nobody thanked God for 2,000 years. What, what was special the way Leah, Leah, Leah thanked God? That that's what the Talmud says. That no one really thanked him until she came around to thank him. What Abraham Why? didn't thank God? That's a good question. Why? Well, Abraham never thanked God. He was a good man. Isaac, Jacob never thanked God. All of a sudden, Leah comes and she thanks God. And the Talmud says that no one thanked God until Leah. So we have to see what is special. There must be something about the way Leah thanked God. And that's why it says that no one thanked God like Leah thanked God. And we'll see that towards the end of the class. We'll get back to answering this question. Okay. So let's begin with part number one titled More and More. Source number two. This is a quote from the Midrash. No person leaves this world with even half of his desires fulfilled. When we have 100, we want to make of it 200. When we have 200, we want to make of it 400. It's the nature of a person that he constantly wants to expand his Whatever he has, whatever he has is never enough. Now, this could be a good trait, you know. Uh, I, I studied this, I want to study more tomorrow. I want, I want to do more. That could be, could be greed. Exactly. It could also be, so it is a nature, but it, it could be used as a good thing. But it could also be that because a person has this trait that he's always looking for more, you have an I Apple, you have an iPhone 7, I want to have iPhone 9. I want to get the latest, I want more, I want more. So because a person has this in him, it's the nature of a person, and that we don't, live, we don't leave this world with half of our desires fulfilled, we always have more desire for more and more. So therefore, if one is constantly thinking about what he does not have and how to fulfill his desire for more, then that can um, move him away from focusing on what he does have. He's always focusing, I have 200, but I want 400, right? So he doesn't think about the 200 that he has. He's always thinking about what I don't have yet and what I want to have. Yes? Isn't this contradicted by the sentence in Pirkei Avot? 
Right. This is just a fact. The midrash is not saying. The midrash is not saying. Um, we we'll get to that. The midrash is not what, saying what, what we say? should be. It says who is? Yeah. Explain. The Mishnah says who is wealthy? Somebody who is happy with his lot. That's true. But the, the midrash here is telling us a fact. The fact of life. The nature of people. The nature of, of human is that we always have desires for more. We're never happy, uh, at least generally, with what we have. And it could be a good thing. You know, we want to always grow. We want to make more. We want to do more. It can be a good thing. But it also could. Uh, translate and, and uh, be applied that when we do have 200 we are focusing on what we don't have we're focusing on the next 200 which we want to which we want to get and that is and that could could steer us away from focusing on the 200 that we do have source number three takes it a step further this is from Rabbi Rabbi Bachya Ibn Pakuda which was a I believe a Sephardic rabbi for hundreds and hundreds of years ago he is known for a book called Chovas Halavavas, the, the duty of the heart. A uh, famous book that studied Jewish philosophy. And he writes like this. People neglect to contemplate the benefits God bestows upon them because the sole aspiration on which their hearts are fixed is further fulfillment of their wishes. Whatever stage of success they attain, they seek to proceed higher. So where is their, where, where are their hearts fixed? It's not fixed on, they're not focusing on what already God gave them. They're fixed on my desire for more, right? So the whole time they're thinking about what they don't have yet and how to get it and not focusing on what they already have. And source four takes it a step further. When one is self-absorbed, he loses sight of who he really is and he thinks he deserves more. Not only is his happiness with what he has incomplete, he is actually distressed by it. He overinflates his importance and is therefore always distressed in as much as all that he has given by God and others is not adequate for, us, for his esteemed nature. So imagine you work so hard and instead of your boss paying you what you deserve, he gives you much less than what you deserve. Right? So you're not even, not just you're not going to be happy with what he gave you. What he gave you, it's like a disgrace. You're, this is what you're giving me? This, I, I deserve much more. Right? Take back your time. I'm not taking anything, right? That's what someone would say. Take your nickel and, uh, uh, right? There's a story, reminds me of a story that the guy came up to heaven and they, uh, he, he was a miser, never gave any charity. And then he said, yeah, you have to go to, to hell. So they, he says, uh, well, but at one time, the one angel, he, one time he gave a nickel, so he deserves to be a bit in paradise. So they're, they're, they're debating what to do, and finally, one, eight, one uh, whatever, they says, take your nickel and go to hell. You know, like, <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's the right thing, because it doesn't matter how much you give, it's just a joke. It's, uh, you know, if somebody can give a nickel, that's, that's uh, you know, could be that was a big sacrifice for him. But the point is that you'll tell the boss, that's not what I deserve, right? So not just the first point that we made is that even if what he gets is what he deserves. He got 200, he worked hard, he got 200, but he's always looking to get more and that's what he's focusing on. And here it says, the, the next one, source four is pointing out that even what he does have doesn't make him at all happy. It's incomplete because not just it's incomplete, it causes him distress. This is what God is giving me. This, this is what I deserve. I deserve much more from everybody else and from God. So even what he does have is like, this is not enough for me. What even even what he does have doesn't make him uh, makes him not just doesn't make him happy it makes him distressed, and the problem is in source number five, we have a quote from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, a great Hasidic Rebbe. However, but it's, it's a quote from him, but this is based on so many verses in the Torah. It is a great mitzvah to be happy always in Hebrew. Tamid, exactly. Always, constantly, we should be happy. There's so many verses that serve God with joy and everything. We're we're supposed to be happy, which is different than you know. I don't think there's any law in America that you must be happy. You you have the right to be happy, but you don't have to be happy. You don't have to walk around with. You don't have to be happy. But the Torah says no. We we have to strive to be happy. We're supposed to be happy. That's what God wants us to be. And these, the nature, the way God made us, that we're constantly thinking of what we don't have because we're trying to get more, especially if we, if somebody is, is a bit self-absorbed, 
and he, he thinks that whatever he has is not enough for him, so it's hard for a person to be happy because if you're constantly thinking about what I don't have and whatever I have is not enough for me, that leads a person not to be uh, content, not to be happy with himself. So how do these things go together? This, this Nachman of Breslov, is, was he also known as the Bratzlover? Is he that one? No. That's somebody else. No. Breslov is a city in Ukraine. Uh, is uh, I think uh, it, the Rebbe is another. He's buried in Ukraine in Uman, famous uh, Uman. Uman. Everybody. Go to his grave yeah, thousands of people time. go to his grave. Rosh Hashanah. Is, his grave? No, not, not yet. <laughs> not yet. For what, man? What do they go for? To pray. Because he's a great guy. I read his books. I. Been, I love him for the last 34 years. Really? If you've seen, uh, there, his Hasid, the, the followers that follow the Hasidic uh, path of Breslov, mm -hmm. they're very joyous. They're, they're, in Israel, you see, I don't know, they're dancing in the streets, they have white kippahs, Nachman, Muman, and they're, they're, they really live up to, to this teaching of Rabbi Nachman. But even those that don't take it to that extreme, but generally we're supposed to be happy. Mm -hmm. And how, what is the road to happiness? If the Torah recognizes on one hand, he want, they, we, we are supposed to be happy. But the Torah also recognizes that we have this trait in us that we always strive for more. We always want more. We always want to grow. And, and we're, not always, we're not always thinking about what we do have. So how does the Torah expect us to always be happy? So you know what? God knows about this. And He built into the system in the Torah a way how to help us be constantly happy. So it goes like this. Let's put this aside for a second. Let's look at source number six. In this week's Parsha, Parsha's Kisovo, Kitavo, again, the, sev the seventh Parsha from the book of Deuteronomy begins like this. Source six. When you come into the land, again, this is Moses talking to the Jewish people uh, 40 years after being in the desert. Moses is a couple of weeks before he's going to die, and he is preparing the Jewish people for their entry, the crossing over the Jordan River and entering the land of Israel to settle the land of Israel. And he's giving them a sermon, reminding them of all of the mitzvahs and, and instructing them uh, to be loyal to Hashem. And he tells them the following, When you come into the land which God gives you for an inheritance, and you possess it and settle in it, it will take time to conquer the land of Israel, to settle, to split it up to the 12 tribes. Finally, when everything is settled, you shall take of the first of all the fruit on, of the ground. It will work the land, it will make things grow. And the first fruits you shall take, which you will bring from your land, which the Lord is giving you. And you shall put them into a basket and go to the place which the Lord will choose to have His name dwell there. Namely, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim means like, comes from the word Bechor. Bechor means a firstborn. The firstborn child is a special mitzvah to redeem the first boy, the oldest boy. And as well with the fruits, when they would work the land, most Jews in Israel at the time were working the land. And the first fruits that grow every year, every, every spring in the summer, they, the first fruits that ripen, they would, they would uh, make a special mark on it. And those fruits would be brought, would be collected, put into a basket and from all over Israel they would they would go up to Israel to, to Jerusalem during the summer months and bring this basket to the Holy Temple. And Source 7 tells us when they came to the temple, they had to make a declaration. And this is what they had to say. Excuse me. <clears throat> and it was done between the holiday of Shavuos, which is when we got to Torah, and the holiday of Sukkot. So during the, you know, those five months, the summer months, and it was done with great fanfare. All the Jews in the city would get together and they would, they would uh, uh, put these baskets on, on the animals and they would, it says they would, uh, you know, adorn the animals and they would sing. And it was a whole, you know, pr pr procession going up to Jerusalem from all over. Everyone would come together and it was a great, um, a great uh, event. And the idea was to take the first fruits and bring it to the temple and it was given to the Kohen that was the priest serving in the temple, which were like the representatives of God, and it was eaten by the Kohen in the temple or in Jerusalem, and it was a way of saying thank you to God. And this is what we had to say. Source 7. And you shall call out and say with your basket in the temple, on Ar an Arma Armenian, which was referring to Lavan, Laban, 
sought to destroy my forefather. There's a whole story that Laban tried to come and kill Jacob. And he went down to Egypt. Eventually the Jews went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a small number of people. They came down with 70 people. And there he became a great, mighty, and numerous nation. They came down 70, 210 years later they were 3 million. And the Egyptians treated us cruelly and afflicted us. And they imposed hard labor upon us. So we cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a strong hand, ten plagues, and, an out, and with an outstretched arm, with great awe, and with signs and wonders. And He brought us to this place. He gave us this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given to me. Every year a farmer would take the first fruits and bring it to the temple and say, thank you, God, for bringing us to this land. And even though they were living in Israel for hundreds of years, right? Over, uh, it could be 1,200 years after they left Egypt, right? They never forgot. And every year there was a mitzvah. God puts it in the Torah. There's a mitzvah that every Jew should go to their field, take the first of the fruits, bring it to the temple, and say, we're, we're not taking for granted that we're living in this land. We know we were, we were try, we, we try, uh, Laban tried to kill us, and we were in Egypt, for we were slaves in Egypt, and you took us miraculously out of Egypt and brought us to this land of Israel, and we're thanking you for giving us the land, and thanking you for the produce, for the fruits that are growing. And every year, the first fruits we're going to benefit from all the fruits. But the first ones, we say we recognize who brought us here and who gives us these, the, everything we need and makes you know, bread, everything that goes from the ground. And we're bringing it to the temple. We're bringing it to Hashem and saying thank you. And it wasn't just enough to bring the fruits. They actually had to say it. As we see the first six words in seven is, and you shall call out and say. Everyone had to stand there in the temple and call out loudly and say. And source eight explains and say. Say that you are not ungrateful. All that God has done. You said, yes. You said all the fruits of the ground. Yeah. That, that does not include the fruits of the trees? It wasn't everything. It was, it was uh, specifically actually from the seven kinds that Israel is blessed with, like pomegranates, figs, the, 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 the most cho the choiciest fruits. That was what was chosen to bring to Hashem. But it was uh, just a <laughs> symbolic idea for everything that grows from the ground. But, uh, but we, what we want to give to Hashem is the first ones and the most choiciest ones. And the, the seven fruits... That uh, that our you know the land of Israel is blessed with uh, you know dates and uh, special fruits. So they were the ones that were chosen. Yes. I don't know. It doesn't, when he says fruit, it's just a literal translation. When the Torah says it's a peri, which means anything which grows from the ground. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it's getting into. Is, is this tradition still exists even though there's no temple? You're, You're going on to the next source. Oh, okay. This was in the times of the temple, right? So for about, this mitzvah lasted for about 1,500 years from when the Jews entered the land of Israel, the first temple era, the second temple era, and this mitzvah was, went on every year. Every, everyone had to bring up a basket and declare this in front of the temple. And as we see in Source 8, Nancy is read, and, and say, Rashi, Rashi, the commentary on the Torah, tells us, why should you say it? That Tell God that you are not ungrateful for all that God has done for you. We never forget. We never forget. We, we, we uh, don't take for granted what we have. And this, that we have fruits and we have what to eat and we're in a, a land and we have everything we need, then we, we have to thank God for what we have. This was a mitzvah that the Torah says. What does it say right after this mitzvah? Source 9, we turn the page. Now let's first go to Source 10, then we'll get back to Source 9. The Torah tells us right after it describes in this week's parsha the mitzvah of Bikurim, of bringing the first fruits, the Torah says, Source 10, and you will rejoice with all the good that God has granted you. And you will rejoice. The Torah is telling us, you want to rejoice? Do this mitzvah. How does that help? Source 9 explains it to us. When a person pours his feelings of love into words, the act of speaking these words fuels and intensifies the love. Through speaking about it, the emotional energy radiates with more passion, and the person is aroused with more fondness for the object of his love. A person can love something, but if they don't talk about it, that feeling will dissipate and will get smaller over time, will, will get less. 
The same, let's look at the other side. If somebody is really mad at somebody or really doesn't like something, if he doesn't talk about it, then over time it will go away. But if somebody doesn't like someone and they talk about it all the time and they talk about how bad the person is and they really bring it out and, and, and that itself, the words, the act of speaking about it intensifies the feeling. It's with a lot of things. The same thing is with with seichel, with with uh, with your with, with your brain. If you if you you can read something, you think you understand it. When you when you when you want when you have to say it, when you start speaking it out, you understand it much better. Sometimes you might understand something or think you understand something, and when you try saying it, it doesn't go. I I can't explain it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you could explain when you try when you go through and you talk and you talk and talk about it, it it sits better. You understand it better. And the same thing with feelings. When you love somebody or you love something, you love pizza, the more you talk about all pizza and <laughs> talk about it, you're actually going to like it better, right? And when you, if you love a person, the more you talk about how you love the person, that actually will, that will fuel the love. So, the same thing over here. Of course, everybody knows that God brought us the land of Israel and gives us everything we have. But over time, if we don't talk about it, it can just get... It can just dissipate that feeling of gratitude to God or the feeling of gratitude for anything could just, you know, be sitting there and, and get less and less. When we talk about it, right? and every year there's a mitzvah. Every year there's a mitzvah. You have, you, the new year, the new produce comes in, the new, the, it's time of harvest. We come, we come to the temple. We don't just hey, take these fruits, I'm just doing it. We have to make this whole declaration. We have to call out and say, Say the whole story. Say, thank you, God. You brought us to this land. Thank you for this. Thank you. And we talk about all the good things that we have. Thank you, God. We're living in a land flowing with milk and honey. You don't just say, oh, I grew up here. My great-great-grandpa, we're here for generations. This is just, right? We have to constantly talk about it. And every year we talk about it, that helps us focus on the good that we have. And helps us be happy. And that's what the Torah says. That when you do the mitzvah of Bikurim. Every year you take your first fruits. And you recognize that it comes from God. And you thank God. You will rejoice. With the good. With all the good that God has granted you. The, the, the problem is that we don't have a temple anymore. Like Anadi says. Mm-hmm. We can still be thankful. We can still be thankful. But what's the solution? If we don't have this mitzvah. Then it's only natural that we focus on what we don't have. Right? So... Moses comes to the rescue, source 11. Moses foresaw that the temple would be destroyed and the offering of the first fruits would cease. He took initiative and ordained that the Jews should pray three times a day. Okay, we had a class a couple a while ago about prayer. Different, different opinion if that, you know, was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here it says, Moses instituted... That prayer, that the Jews should pray three times a day. What does prayer have to do with the first fruits? Because most of prayer, most of prayer is thanking God for what we have. It's thanking God, praising God for all the good that He does. And it says in source, there is parts of prayer which we ask God to heal the sick and we ask God to you know, bring rain and we ask God for many things but a lot of the prayer and the bulk of prayer is praising God thanking God for everything we have and in fact in source 12 there's a midrash which says in the future all prayers will be abolished except for prayers of gratitude in the future when Mashiach comes the world will be perfect no one will be sick and no one will be, everything will, just, everything will just be perfect. So there will be no need for prayer of saying, God, please give me this. Please give, God will give us, everything will just be good. Everything will just be perfect. It will be a perfect world. So why do we need prayer? We need prayer for gratitude. You want to be happy? Pray. Because when we pray, we are constantly, every single day, three times a day, at least once a day, we're constantly thanking God and praising God and being grateful for what He gives us. Even when Mashiach comes, we'll have everything, but we still have to be grateful if we want to be happy. But all the other prayers that are for things that we are lacking, that won't be there because we won't be lacking anything. The first prayer that, uh, that we see is connected to gratitude is the first prayer in the morning. Source 13. Hank tell, reads it for us every Sunday morning. Yeah. I thank you, Source 13. I thank you, living and eternal King, for mercifully restoring my soul within me. Okay. 12 Hebrew words. Modani is the first prayer that the Siddur says we should say 
as soon as we wake up in the morning. And let me read to you a little um, story. I believe I shared it here once about a conference that took place in the United States. There was a conference of neurologists from all over the world. One of the main topics of the, uh, of, the, of the conference, of the convention, was the phenomenon of people fainting upon getting up from bed. They get up and they faint. One of the speakers was Professor Linda McMarin of Great Britain, and she gave a lengthy speech regarding her study or research on this issue. She elaborated, after many years of study and investigation on the subject, she came to the conclusion that the fainting is caused by a sharp transfer of, uh, between laying down and standing up. She explained that it takes 12 seconds for the blood to flow from the feet to the brain. And when a person quickly stands up upon waking up, the blood gets thrown to the brain too quickly and the result is fainting. She suggested that each person, even one that does not have a tendency to faint, upon waking up should sit up in bed, count slowly to 12 to avoid dizziness, weakness, and or fainting. Her speech was rewarded with loud applause and enthusiastic feedbacks. Another professor, a Jewish religious man, asked permission to speak. He said, by us Jews, there's an old tradition, thousands of years old, to say a prayer of thanks to the creator of the world every morning when waking up, and it's said immediately while one is still in bed before getting out of bed, sitting up in bed. And you know how many words this prayer contains? Twelve. There are twelve words in this prayer, and if one regulates himself to say it solely with concentration, it takes exactly twelve seconds to say it. Twelve words in twelve seconds. He said the prayer solely in Hebrew. The auditorium burst into a standing applause that roared throughout the auditorium. This time, it was for the creator of the world. The creator of the world told us to say Modani, and if we say Modani, then uh, we won't faint. The prayer of Modani is a prayer we say right when we wake up in the morning, thanking God for restoring our soul to us, energized, and we're alive. We're alive. That's the first thing we do. We wake up, we say, thank you, God, that I am alive. There are people that go to sleep and don't wake up. There are people that don't live to see the next day. Thank you, God, for giving us back our soul. Thank you that we are alive. That's the first thing. Modani, which means saying, I give thanks. That's the first words we utter in the morning, even before getting out of bed. That's the first prayer. You know what the second prayer is? After we wash our hands, we say, thank you, God, for, uh, for giving us our bodies that, and that our bodies can use the bathroom, it says. It was the first thing in the morning. We usually use the bathroom. We use the washroom. Asher Yatsar. We say, God created us. With, with a way that we can, we can, we can uh, use the bathroom. And then we think uh, it's a series of many blessings. Thanking God that we, open our, uh, we can open our eyes. Thanking God that we can walk. And thank God for, for, um, for uh, straight, uh, yeah, so many blessings. You can open up the scissors you see. Thanking God just for what we have that people just take for granted. And every morning we verbally Thank God we fulfill the mitzvah of Bikur and the first fruits. We do it on a daily basis. And so many prayers. And then that's in the morning at home. We get to synagogue. So much of the prayers is praising God, thanking God for the rain, thanking God for everything that we have, recognizing that what we have is a gift from God. And we have to be thankful for, for the good things that we do have. Hank, you want to say the story of the grandmother on the beach? <laughs> Oh, 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 with the hat, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Why, why you want that now? Why? You know, I, a grandmother is watching her little... I'll, I'll, I'll tell her. Yes. There, there was this uh, woman who brought her child to the beach. So she's lying there in the sun, and the little boy goes into the water. Before you know it, a tremendous wave pulls him out to sea. She starts yelling, Oh, I give all you. I give all Before you know it, the lifeguard sees this, he jumps into the water and he's swimming, he's swimming, he's swimming. He grabs his kid by the neck and pulls him out, puts him on the ground there and he starts pumping and pumping and pumping. The kid spits up a little water, he opens his eyes and the mother is standing there, Gibald, Gibald. All of a sudden she sees, he opens his eyes, she says to him, where's your hat? You had a hat. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, what does that have to do with this? She, instead of thinking, thank you God for giving me back my child, she's worried about the hat. So the prayers tell us, yes, 
Everybody has struggles and there are things that we want more and there's so many things, but let's think about what we do have. Your child, your grandchild was saved. Let's think about the good things. Here's one prayer from the Shmones or from the Amida prayer, the, 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 you know, the highest part of the prayer. And one of the blessings is called Modim, which means praise, thanking God. And it means like this. We thankfully acknowledge that you are the Lord our God and God of our fathers forever. You are the strength of our life, the shield of our salvation in every generation. We will give thanks to you and recount your praise evening, morning, and noon for our lives which are committed into your hands, for our souls which are entrusted to you, for your miracles which are with us daily, and for your continual wonders and beneficences. You are the beneficent one for, uh, for your mercies that never cease, the merciful one for your kindnesses never end, for we always place our hope in you. This is called the prayer of Modim. And what's interesting is that the main part of the prayer is the Amita. We all get up, we say the silent prayer, it's 18 blessings, and then the cantor, the, the chazan, repeats the Amita. And we all say, Amen, right? So you, you remember that part. And there's one blessing when the chazan, the, leading, the one leading the congregation, the chazan says all the blessings, but one blessing, we have to say it together with the, with the chazan. Does anyone know why we, there's, it's called the repetition of the Amida? Why is there such a thing of the repetition of the Amida? Why can't everyone just read it themselves? We, everyone is quiet, everyone reads it themselves. Why does he have to go and repeat the whole thing? The answer is because there was a time that the people were very illiterate and they could not read it themselves. So the chazan, the one, um, you know, some people did it, whoever was able to read it themselves, and then there was one that said it sort of for everybody, and they just answered amen, and it's considered as if they said it. But there's one blessing that they said, everybody must learn how to say it. Until today, even when the chazan is rep uh, doing the repetition, when it comes to the blessing of modim, this blessing, everybody says it together with him. All the other blessings, he says it, we just answer amen. But this blessing, we all have to say it with him. Why is that? Because no one could say thank you for, some, for you. Someone could ask God to heal the sick for you. Someone can ask God there should be rain and that Mashiach should come and all the other great things that we ask for. But the blessing, which is dedicating to saying thank you to God, we thankfully acknowledge that you are the... Right? That no one could say for you. That you got to learn how to say yourself. Because for you to be happy, you have to recognize yourself what's given to you. And by saying thank you, you're recognizing that what was given to you and what are the great things that you have. At the top of this page, we see BSD. Mm -hmm. Could you explain to everybody, we see this on so many articles, BSD. Could you explain? It's the Hebrew two words, Bisiata Dishmaya. BS is Bisiata in Hebrew, which means, uh, and Dishmaya, which means in Aramaic, it means with the help of God. So everything come, we begin. Does this come from Yikum Pukan? It does mention those same two words there, yes, very good. But it's a custom that every page we start, uh, you see here on this page it has BH, which is Baruch Hashem. It's a custom that when every page that we, we start writing something, we always bless God. So, so why, why is this, instead of Bethe? Some people write Bethe, some write, uh, oh. because Bethe is, is sort of like uh, Hashem is uh, the way we're referring to God. And some people don't want to even write um, God's name because they don't know where this paper is going to end up. So the right with the help of heaven. Oh. More like a way of just alluding to God. Yes. So we see the concept of prayer is in place of this mitzvah of Bikurim. And we find this concept of gratitude in many areas in the Torah. I mentioned it on Sunday we'll, uh, by the Tefillin Club. We'll see it here inside. Source 14. And flesh torn in the field, you shall not eat. You shall throw it to the dogs. It's a verse in the book of Exodus. And that's where it means treif. Literally, treif is you know, non-kosher meat that was not slaughtered properly. It's called treif. Treif literally means it was torn in the field, meaning it wasn't slaughtered. An animal just pounced on it and tore it apart. That's what treif literally means. But torn in the field. Torn in the field. It says you shall not eat it. So what should you do with this meat? It says you shall throw it to the dogs. Why does the Torah tell us what to do with it? Oh, we can't eat it. We can do whatever. We just make sure we don't eat it. Why is the Torah telling us specifically the dogs? I wonder if I have a cat or something else. Why the dogs? So the Midrash tells us, continuing in Source 14, The Holy One does not withhold the reward of any creature, as it is said. But to all the children of Israel, not one dog will wet, it, wet its tongue. 
that when the Jews left Egypt, the Torah says now one dog, there was dogs, guard dogs, that were guarding the borders of Egypt to make sure no one escaped. And if someone tried to escape, the dogs would start barking. And that was a signal that someone was trying to escape. But when the Jews left Egypt, the dogs were all quiet. They didn't bark. And God says as a reward, God does not withhold the reward of any creature. God says, you have to be thankful to the dogs. They, let, they, they didn't make you problems when you left Egypt. You have to have in yourselves the recognition that if some, even an animal, not just humans, so now we're talking about praising God, even an animal, the fact that you benefited from this animal, you have to constantly remember that. And for generations later, the Torah tells us that what should you do with the meat that you can't eat? You should give it to the dogs. Let them have some, let them enjoy it. Because they did something good. They have to be you have to reward them. Not necessarily, you know, the dogs remember. It's not that it's not the same dog, there's other dogs, right? But it's training us humans to always have in us this mida, this attribute of re, of, uh, of gratitude. And by giving to the dogs, we're, that's training, it's training our it's, um, putting our attribute of gratitude to use and constantly remembering that these dogs were good to us, we have to give back to them. Does this mean eternal gratitude for a favor? Somebody somebody did something for me. Am I am I forever indebted to them? I mean I, I, I do in, feel I do feel indebted to them. But but is that like a, a custom You're not law? indebted, it's just until um, they do wrong to you. Then no, yes. no, 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 no. So even if they do wrong favor for me. Even if they do wrong, but for so what they, they did good, they right. deserve to yes. gratitude. Doesn't mean that uh, you know you're their slave, but they're you, yeah, a person should be gra uh, grateful. Eternal gratitude. Yes, uh, and not just yeah. Sorry. Uh, going back to the dogs. I mean, is this means like the Jews? I mean, they don't worship the dogs, but were all the animals in the world like they like single out like dogs that kind of. A special uh, creature. I mean, like some. No, not necessarily. Some they, they have like special animals that they. Uh, no. Pray, you know um, what? No, nothing no. special about dogs. It's just the fact that the dogs. Yeah, just a, uh, one specific thing. Do yes. we know in the Torah who kept dogs as pets? The Torah. Doesn't mention that, That's a topic for another discussion. And not just when it comes to animals, we'll see even with inanimate things. In Source 15. In Source 15. Mommy's inside. So, continuing on with Source 15. During the 10 plagues, the, the last 8 plagues were done by Moses. The first two plagues were done by Aaron, Aaron, Moses' brother. Why is that? The first two plagues, blood and Frog. frogs, came from the water. The water turned into blood, the Nile, and the frogs came from the Nile. And every plague came with a hit. It says, God said, take your stick and hit it over the water and the, and the plague will start. The Midrash says like this, source 15, Since the Nile protected Moses when he was cast into it, he therefore did not strike it to initiate the plagues of blood and frogs. Aaron did so instead. Moses was a little baby. When he was born, there was 80 years earlier. Moses was 80 years old at the times of the plagues. 80 years earlier, when he was born, at the time there was a decree that Pharaoh made that all the Jewish boys should be thrown into the Nile. And... Moses' mother, a woman named Yocheved, she didn't want to throw him in. She put him into a basket and put him in the Nile. whole story, we'll learn it when we get to that Parsha. And, and, and Miriam, Pharaoh's daughter, I'm sorry, Batya came and, and, and uh, she adopted him. And Moses grew up in the palace till he was 12 years old and he ran away. A whole story. But the Nile protected Moses because he was put in there as a baby in a basket, a whole story, because he was protected. So 80 years later, God tells Moses, you're not going to start the two plagues. Moses is like, I'm the leader. What do you mean? I'm not going to be leading on the Jews and do the plagues for them. God said, not you. You can do the rest. Aaron will have to do it because the Nile protected you. The Nile doesn't have any feelings, I can tell you that. I don't think it's not about that, you're not, you know, being nice to the Nile. It's about Moses recognizing, having the attribute of gratitude. The Nile protected you in your time of need, you shouldn't be the one to strike the Nile. 
And by putting this in the Torah, by putting in the Torah, you could have just said, oh, the, 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 the plague happened. The Torah says specifically, Aaron did this, this, the first two, Moses, the other ones. Why is the Torah pointing that out to us? To teach us this attribute of gratitude. And source 16 tells us the story of Leah. And we'll, we'll come soon to answer our original question. Leah was the second, the, the wife of Jacob. Jacob had a total of four wives. The Torah says, first, he came to, he came from Israel, he was running away from his brother Esau, wanted to kill him, so he ran away, he was away from home for 22 years. He comes, he comes, uh, when he came originally, he met, we, le we learned last week, he met, he met his uh, future wife Rachel by the well, and he wanted to marry Rachel, and he worked seven years, his, his, Rachel's father Laban, uh, told him that you gotta work for her. Work for her seven years. So he worked seven years and he's so he's, he's eagerly looking forward to, to marrying Rachel and Laban makes a trick and gives him Leah. I don't know how, how exactly that happened but it happened and he ends up marrying Leah. And in the morning he, he realizes it's Leah, he's very upset and Laban says well she was older so he ends up marrying Ra Leah, he keeps her Leah, and he marries Rachel also. And later he marries their other two sisters, Bilhah and Zilpah. Leah was the first to have children. Leah had one son, Reuven. Altogether they had 12 boys, the 12 tribes. Leah had Reuven, she had a son, Shimon. She had a third son, Levi, who was that's the tribe of the Levites. And the fourth son was Yehuda, Judah. The Torah says in source 16, She conceived again and bore a son, and she said, This time I will thank the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah, and then she stopped bearing. Yehuda. The name Yehuda comes from the word, same word as Mode. Yehuda is the same source, same Shoresh, which means giving thanks. She said when she had her fourth son, she said, this time, we'll see soon why, but this time I will thank God, and she named him Judah. Where, what are the Jews, why are we called Jews? Jews is from Judah, because when the Jews, originally in the Torah, they're called the Israelites, the Hebrews, and they're called the Israelites because we were descendants of Israel, Jacob, second name was Israel. When, when they lived in the land of Israel, they were called Israelites. And then after the destruction of the first temple, when they came down to Babylonia, they were called the, Jude the Judeans, the Jews, because they came from Judah. Because, a little history here, the land of Israel was split in two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom um, with the ten tribes in the north of Israel, and there was the two and a half tribes, or three tribes in the south of Israel around Jerusalem, and the king there was the king from, from the tribe of Judah a descendant of King David, which was from the tribe of Judah. There was the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and the tribe of Levi. And those three tribes came into exile because the other ten tribes, they were lost. The ten lost tribes, they went, you know, they're lost somewhere. But the ones that came to Babylonia into exile, they were, they were the ones that lived in the area called Judah. They were called Jews. And now all Jews are called Jews from Judah, right? We're all called Judah. Why? It's not just something, gratitude is not just something that, that we do. It is who we are. It's in our name. We're called Jews from Judah. And why was Judah called Judah? The Torah says, why did she call her Yehuda? Why did he give her the name Judah in Hebrew Yehuda? Which means, I will give thanks. I will praise God for giving me a fourth son. So why aren't we called Modim instead of Judeans? The same said, thing. It's just... Moda, Moda and Judah have the same root. It's the same. It's just, Moda means... Moda Ani, Yehuda is just a little play on a play on it. Uh, you know, sometimes a name can take that, take it, and, and switch it around. But Yehuda comes from the word Hoda, which means praise. Moda means I give praise. Ho Yehuda is more like okay, being praised. Okay, Hoda, Hoda, thank you. But Leah says very clearly, and the Torah points it out. Why did she name him Yehuda? Why did she name him Judah? Because she said, "I will give praise." So it's not just something that we do. We see how important it is that it's in our name. It's in our name. Our name describes who we are. We are people that we should always be giving thanks. And that is brought out in the mitzvah of Bikurim, of the first fruits, and in prayer, and in constantly all these prayers, constantly the idea is to constantly focus on the good. And like the title is, Habitude of Gratitude, to constantly have a habit of giving gratitude for good things that we have. So it's true. The nature of a person is they have 200, they want 400. But when we constantly think about 
the good that we have. And we're constantly verbalizing. As we said, when we talk about something, we bring it into words. Every morning we say, thank you, God. Or every night before we go to sleep, thank you. And we, we say all the good things that we have in our life. Then that will help us, as the Torah says, you will rejoice. Because when you realize and you're constantly thinking about the good things that we have, you have a habit of, 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 uh, of giving gratitude for what you have, then you will be happier because you have so, so much. And 17, we'll point out a few more things here. Jacob gets married, he has uh, 12 sons, and he comes back to Israel. He's coming back after 22 years to meet his brother Esau. He hopes by now, after 22 years, his brother, uh, his anger, uh, you know, relented. And he's coming to meet Esau. And he gives, he sends lots of gifts to his brother, and then they have a nice... Um, meeting and Esau just a quote from the whole discussion the conversation they're having source 17 Esau says I have a lot Jacob said I have everything Esau said I have a lot I have a lot but I don't have enough I have a lot but I want more Jacob said, I have everything. What I have is everything I need. I have everything. That is who we are. We are descendants of Jacob. And what we have to realize, we're not like the, like we see in source number four, that we're so self-absorbed that whatever we have is not enough for us. Whatever we have is more than what we deserve. What did Leah say in source 18? Why did Leah say, I'm going to thank God for her fourth son? She had three boys already. She didn't thank God for her first three boys. Why did she thank God only by her fourth son? You know why? Because the, Jacob had four wives. And they knew that there's going to be 12 tribes. It says the, the matriarchs were, were prophetess. And they, they knew that there's going to be 12 boys. So they figured each one will have three boys. There's four wives. Three, six, nine, twelve. We'll each have three. When she had her fourth son, what did she say? Source 18, this time I will think, Midrash says, since I have taken more than my share. I didn't deserve to have a fourth son. Three boys, oh, I deserve. There was four wives, I deserve my share. All of a sudden she has a fourth son. She says, ah, oh, now I'm going to thank God. Now I realize I don't deserve this and I still got it. I'm going to thank God. And our name is Yehuda. Our name is Judah. We are that fourth son. Everything we have is more than we deserve. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. God doesn't owe us anything. He created us. He gives us everything we have. Everything we have is like Jacob. Because I have everything. Whatever God gives me is, is enough. As, as Hank mentioned, the, the Mishnah from the ethics of our fathers. Who is wealthy? Someone who is happy with his lot. Whatever God gives us, that is enough for us. That is, I have everything. Of course, we can want more. But what we do have is so much more than we deserve. And we should be giving thanks for that. And... This, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's, that's, um, that answer, yeah, that's going back to what we said here, the person who is self-absorbed and thinks that whatever he has is not enough, whatever we get paid, whatever we are given from Hashem is a gift from Hashem. It's a gift. The next point that answers our question that we asked in the beginning, source 19, that nobody thanked God until Leah came. Leah, do you think Jacob loved his wife Leah? No. Not really. He never intended to marry Leah. <laughs> he wanted to marry Rachel. It says he loved Rachel. And he just wasn't planning to marry her. He was sort of forced into this marriage. His father-in-law, uh, you know, pushed her in. And that's it. So, obviously, it was, uh, he was destined to marry her. But his love wasn't... He, he definitely loved Rachel more than Leah. It's like the same thing that his mother did with uh, Jacob and Esau. He tricked the father. And source 19 tells us quite clearly, the Lord saw that Leah was hated, so he opened her womb. That's why Leah had children first. Rachel only had children later. Leah was hated. Whatever that means, exactly hated. You know, Jacob was a great man, but she definitely was. She wasn't. Ha she wasn't so happy. Imagine her younger sister is is loved more by her husband, mm. right? Leah wasn't very happy, and nonetheless, Leah praised God. To praise God and thank God for what we have, we don't have to be. Don't have to have a perfect life. 
there are so many good things in our life. And that is what we have to focus on. Leah still had problems. Her husband hated her. Let's say whatever it means. It says she was hated. She could have said, I'm, I'm going to thank God. Look what he, he's, he's making my husband hate me. Look what he, he made this whole story for me. And she could say, I don't care if I have uh, so many boys and I had even more than my portion. What is it? What's it worth it? This is what God is he's making. You know, there's so many bad things in my life. That's what she could have focused on. What it says... when a person gets ill, gets sick? Oh, we'll see that. We'll see the next source. They say about about uh, being ill. But but you could have said, "I'm gonna praise God. This God is making <laughs> making my husband hate me. What kind of world is he putting me in? What kind of you know?" Nonetheless, she still thanked God. She recognized, yes, there are some things in life that are not perfect. I'm not so happy with. But that doesn't mean that there are good things in life. Look, I had so many boys. I had more than I, what I, that I deserve. I had more than my share. I had a fourth son. And that's what it means that, that from when the world was created, no one thanked God. Yes, of course people thank God. But people can thank God when everything is good. Leah had a hard life. Imagine being married to someone that, that loves your younger sister who's his wife also more than you. And still she thanked God. She thanked God. She focused. She shifted her focus on the good that she had. And that's what she spoke about. And that's what she thanked God for always. And that made her happier. Where and we, Sorry. Where is, but uh, <clears throat> she didn't thank God like uh, after the first... I mean, like, when she had her share, she only thanked God like when she had extra. So basically... That's a good point. Well, maybe that's very simple. When you have what you have, the Torah doesn't have to teach us to say thank you. The Torah is teaching us that when you have more than your share, that Leah knew what Leah was a prophetess. She knew exactly what she deserved and what she got more. You, do you know exactly what you deserve? Whatever you have is more than what we deserve. We're not, we're not a prophet. And the Torah tells us in Source 9, and the Midrash tells us to answer you, um, Bob. He quoted the Mishnah, which says, Ezehu Ashir, who is wealthy. Ashir in Hebrew means wealthy. This is very interesting. That's, yes, that's let's read it inside. Source 20. The Hebrew word for wealthy is Ashir. Four Hebrew letters. Ayin, Shin, Yud, Resh. It is an acronym for Einayim. The first letter, Ayin, is Einayim, eyes. Shin is shinayim, teeth. Yud is yadayim, hands. And resh is raglayim, feet. Who is wealthy? If you have hands, feet, eyes, and teeth. Yesterday I was visiting some seniors here. And they were complaining. They can't get around. They, can't, they have to use a walker. And I told them this. There are people that don't have hands. There are people that don't have feet. There are people that, that uh, teeth and, and eyes. We Thank God, there people. Maybe there are some people that are ill, but what we are, the Torah teaches us to try to focus on the good things. You know that we have our hands, we have our feet, or whatever, whatever we do have, that is the good that we should be focusing on. And by always talking about the good things that we have, and every day saying to ourselves, saying to God, "Thank you, I have hands, I have feet, I all the good things that we have in life," and thanking God for that, that will help us be happy. But what about Seichel? I mean, if you have, don't have brains, then you don't have brains. So if you don't have Seichel, so thank God for whatever you do have. Everybody has something. Okay, let's finish up here. Another point. Well, they say that there's the past, future, and the present. Because every day is a present. It's a gift from God. We wake up in the morning, it's a present. We can get up out of bed, we can move our hands, move our feet. It's a present, it's a gift from God. Come here and use our teeth to eat that food. Exactly. There's a, there's a story, there's a, in Israel, unfortunately, you know, soldiers get killed sometimes. And there was one couple, their only child, you know, 19-year-old boy serving in the army was killed. And they decided to dedicate something in, a, in the synagogue in memory, memory of the son. A large sum of money, I forget what it was, a Torah scroll or something. And they made a whole, uh, you know, dedication. Many people were invited, friends, family. And one couple is sitting there and they, they're listening to the father giving a speech about their son and how in his memory they're, 
you know, he gave up his life for the country, for the Jewish people, and his memory, they're donating this. And after the speech, she turns to her husband and says, you know, we should, we should, give, we should contribute uh, something similar for our son. So the husband says, what do you mean? Our son wasn't killed. He's like, yeah, that's why we should, give it, that's why we should make a donation, because he wasn't killed. He was spared, right? We have to wait till something bad happens. We should recognize that our son was spared, and we have our son, and let's be thankful for that and make a donation. Source 21. Tell you another, another story. I think I shared it here once. There was the previous Rebbe, our Rebbe's, Rebbe Schneerson's father in law, previous Rebbe. Um, I think the story happened when he was living in Leningrad in the 1920s. Now it's St. Petersburg. And two Hasidim, two of his followers, came to visit him from the city of Odessa. And one, the first man went in and the Rebbe asked him, you know, what's going on in Odessa, asking him for a report, how, how are things going, how's the community, and this man had only good things to say. Yeah, everyone's coming to prayers, everyone's studying, everyone's friendly with each other, everything is, you know, everyone is perfect, everything is nice. He gave a very good report, made the Rebbe happy, and the Rebbe gave him 10 ruble as a, you know, thank you for the report. And the next guy comes in, the guy comes out and he tells his friends what happened and he's like, what? You didn't tell the Rebbe about all, all the arguments and everything that's going on and then this guy's fighting and then this guy doesn't come to prayer and they're talking during prayers and this guy doesn't study. I'm going to go in, I'm going to tell the Rebbe the truth. And the second guy goes in and the Rebbe asks him, well, how, what's going on in Odessa? How's everything doing? And he starts saying, this barrel is fighting with Shmero and this guy, yeah, he starts saying all the gossip, all the bad stuff, the, the, the truth. And the Rebbe hears him, and the Rebbe gives him one ruble. And he says, that guy, gave t- I thought I was going to get a hundred rubles, I'm, I'm saying the truth. <laughs> so the Rebbe tells him, I don't need you guys to tell me what's going on in Odessa. I, I know what's going on there. My question is, in which Odessa are you living? <laughs> what kind of person are you? Are you somebody that's looking at all the bad stuff, and that's what you talk about, and that's what you're focusing on? Or is somebody that focuses on the good stuff, on all the beautiful things, and that's what comes to mind, and that's what you talk about. That's the kind of person that I'm looking for. The Rebbe is trying to train us to, sometimes, yes, we do have to deal with issues. We can't ignore them. But what, is our, what do we talk about? And like we said last time about, the, about the, um, the road signs, right? Something bad happens, you keep it quiet, you take care, you do what you have to, and, and finish. But the good stuff, that's what we have to be talking about. That's what we have to be focusing on. And that will make us happier when we constantly recognizing the good that we have in our life. Source 21 teaches us an additional lesson connected to the mitzvah of Bikurim. If you, if you notice, in the beginning of source, uh, source 6, you see a couple words are, are bold, are highlighted. When did this whole mitzvah start? That we have to take the first fruits, bring it to the, up to Jerusalem. It says, when you will go into the land, then you will possess it and settle in it. You know how long it took to possess and settle the land? Anybody? How long did it take the Jews to settle the land of Israel? It took 14 years. It took seven years of conquering to possess the land and seven years to settle the land. First, they had to conquer it. There were many nations living there and they had to, took time and they had to settle it. They had to split it up to the tribe. It was a whole system. It took, it took a long time. So for the first 14 years, they, there was no mitzvah of Bikurim. There was no mitzvah of bringing up the first fruits. Now, when you split up something, so first one tribe gets, then it, uh, it took time, then the next tribe took, you know, until they conquered this area, they gave it to one tribe, they conquered the next area. It took, took a long time. But they could, there, was a, there was tribe, there were tribes that after a couple of years, they already got their portion, right? But still... They did not have to bring their first fruits to Jerusalem and give gratitude to God until all of the tribes settled and got their land. Which is interesting because why shouldn't they already, you know, every tribe, well, once you get your land, okay, you, you start making uh, fruits, you know, and then take the new fruits off to Jerusalem. Why, why do they have to wait till everybody? Why shouldn't they be giving gratitude right away? Because they have to wait till everyone's at the table. Oh. Why? Source 21. The obligation of Bikurim began only after the very last piece of the land was distributed. Until then, our joy and gratitude is lacking. 
the collective security and comfort of every last one of our people, no matter his level of affiliation or contribution, is essential to the happiness we each experience on a personal level. We give gratitude, and that helps us be happy. But we can't be happy and be thankful for what we have until we know that every Jew, every uh, tribe, is settled in their land. To finish with source number 22. Can, can I ask you a question, please? Yes. Uh, I, I value the Rebbe's opinions and, and his words highly. Now, he says, he says that everybody's got to get a piece of the pie. Okay, basically. Every right? tribe, yeah. Okay. Now how about how about those people who just sit back and feel they'll bring me a piece of the pie? I don't have to work for it. What about those people? No, not, that's not the, the the message here. The message here is just there were tribes that didn't have a portion in the land, right? So they were just waiting around. They couldn't start working the land. They were still like in limbo. They didn't have a piece of land. So. Those tribes that already were all settled, they were all set up shop, they had their homes, and they have their fields, and they should, for, for them to go up to the temple and bring their fruits to say, thank you God for the land, we're so happy, when their brothers are still in the, you know, in the, in the what are they called, you know, the camps, in the displaced person camps and waiting for their piece of land, it's not right. You, you have to wait till everybody is comfortable, everybody has their land, then we can say, okay, now thank you God for the land. And we don't thank God until help. the job is finished, until everybody is happy. And didn't they also help the other tribes? Yes, yes, anything? some, of the, some yeah. tribes did, not at all, some tribes. Now, to be grateful doesn't always feel so good. Let's see why. Part of, uh, source 22, part of the human psyche is naturally resistant to gratefulness. Gratitude is a humbling experience because it demands that we come to terms with the limit of our self-sufficiency. We have to recognize we are dependent on God. We are dependent on others, right? It's, uh, it reminds us that we are, we are limited. We need somebody else. Somebody else needs to come help us. Somebody else is giving us something, whether it's God, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member. We are dependent on somebody else. We don't like to be like that. We like to be... You know, I'm a man, I can, I, can take, you know, I can handle things myself. I don't need somebody else. So it's very humbling. And that's why some people don't like to say thank you because it's, 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 it demands a level, a, a measure of humility. And then when they don't thank that person, they start to resent that person because that person did something for them, but they can't come to terms to say thank you to the person and they actually start to hate the person. Anyway... When, however, we acknowledge our dependence on others and express gratefulness, we open up the gates of joy. That's the lesson for today. The Parsha teaches us, let's, let's uh, just sum it up. The, the fact is, the Midrash tells us, the fact of life is that we have a desire for more. We have a desire for, for 400 if we have 200. And we, as Rabbi Bakhtia explained to us, that we are our hearts fixed. We don't, we don't focus on the 200 that we have and we worked so hard for and God gave us. We focus on what we don't have. And especially if somebody is self-absorbed, not just he's not ha he doesn't focus on what he has, but what he has, even if he does focus on it, makes him sad. This is what I get. This is what I deserve. And how, does, how is a person supposed to be happy? Is a great mitzvah to be happy. The Torah recognizes this and gives us in this week's parasha the mitzvah of Bikurim. Every year, for hundreds of years, to take our first fruits, our choicest fruits, bring it up to the temple and say, thank you God for bringing us to this land. I, mean, I know it's for a thousand years we're living here, but I'm going to thank you. I'm going to verbal verbalize it that we are grateful to Hashem, verbalizing it, that intensifies and, and um, fuels the feeling of gratitude and the Torah t promises us that you will rejoice, you will be happy by focusing on what we do have. Now that we don't have a temple, Moses instituted prayer, lots of prayer, big parts of, large parts of the prayer focuses on giving gratitude to God. And we read one of the prayers, the first prayer is Modani, thanking God every morning for what we have. And not just for thanking God and thanking others, even having, uh, being, recognizing to animals and to water, to inanimate things. And not just that, it is who we are. We are people of gratitude. It's in our name that we are Jews. And the final few points that we said is, and, and um, we're going in the ways of Jacob, that we have everything. What we have is enough for us. And that's what we have to focus on. Like Leah focused on that she recognizes that everything that she has is more 
than what she deserves. She, she, like, when she had her fourth son, and that's who we are. We have to recognize that whatever we have is a gift from God. It's a present from Hashem. And even if there are things in life that are not perfect, Leah was hated. Nonetheless, we should focus. We should focus and verbalize the good things in our life. And that is who is wealthy. Who is wealthy? Someone that has eyes in there. The simple things that we should not take for granted. And always think about others. And ha others should have the basics of life. And maybe it's a bit humbling, but that's okay. Because we are dependent on God. And sometimes we're dependent on others. And we just have to recognize that. And when we do that, that is the road that the Torah tells us. That's the road to happiness. Chaim. Jacob had like 12 sons, 4 wives and 12 sons. Yes. Right? So basically, they were supposed to be 3 and 3 and 3, like maybe 12. Mm, doesn't four say they were supposed to be. No, they, figured. they figured. So they figured. It was really Leah, 6, 2, Leah, 2, and 2. Oh, so Leah had 4 then maybe. So then it means like somebody of the other 4 wives had be less than 3, so somebody had Right. It ended up being 6, 2, 2, and 2. Wait a minute. What, 6? 6? 6, 2, 2, 2. That was well, the way it was split up. Oh, so, so who had six? Leah had six. But she said after... After four, that, she, she, yeah, she, said no, no more she stopped for a while, and then she had, later on she had another... Two yeah, two more. Oh! Okay. Or well, maybe she was given a gift for saying thank you then. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. She had the mandrakes, right? Oh, oh, I thought she didn't want more then. But she yeah, did. Doesn't well, say she, after no. that, there had to be 12. So she had them. Right. Yeah, so that's the lesson. The next time you open up a Siddur, you'll see there's so many beautiful prayers. On Shabbos, we say a prayer called Nishmas, which is a beautiful prayer thanking God for everything that we have. <clears throat> Anybody ever see a mandrake? What's that, mandrake? The mandrake root. You know, it looks like a, like a body, like a human. Yeah. So when she, uh, they were all saying, get me the 